Good evening, everyone. Thank you all so much for coming to see the Lewis's home. <laughs> Unfortunately, I will be talking tonight. <laughs> I apologize in advance. But I, I've been told that afterwards the tours will begin. Uh, really, truly, thank, thank you to Richard and Aviva for hosting tonight. It's a wonderful thing to use your beautiful new home to host Tyra and growth. And may your home be blessed with all good things and all spiritual growth forever in the future. Tonight's Shear class has been sponsored. May have a speedy recovery. It's a pretty exciting time. We are days away from Purim. You hear the panic, right? Everyone's like, wait, our themes, we didn't get our themes ready. We're days away from Purim and it's a 2,500 year old story. So I'm going to begin with a 2,000 year old 500 2,500 year old joke. That's the way. There's only one way to begin a perm here, I think, and that's with a joke. This one's really old. You have to be like deeply, deeply Jewish to appreciate this joke. Generations Jewish, I think. So this woman gets a phone call from her son. Her son is the first ever Jewish president of the United States. And she gets a phone call from her son, and her son says, Mom, we'd love to have you come over for Purim. Would you love to stay? Please join us in the White House for Purim. It'd be amazing. And his mother says, really, the White House, I mean, you come, I can't, I want to go to the airport. It's a schlep. The traffic. The mom. I'm the president of the United States. Oh, limo, pick you up and take you to the airport. He goes, yeah, but you know the waiting over there, the security. You know how it is. It's insane. Goes, mom, I'm the president of the United States. You don't wait for security. Yeah, but then it's a squishy economy. You know, there's never any room. The person in front of you leans back. Now you can't breathe. Right? Mom, I'm the president of the United States. You're flying on Air Force One. Yeah, but then when we land, how am I going to get to the White House? They're going to see driving to get taxi. Mom, I'm the president of the United States. You're going to land. There's a helicopter going to pick you up and drop you on the White House lawn. You don't have to worry about a thing. She goes, okay, fine. I'll come for Purim. She hangs up the phone and her friend Gertrude is standing next to her and goes, what was that? She goes, oh, my son. My son invited me to come to stay by him for Purim. She goes, oh, that's so nice. Is that your son, the doctor? He goes, no, the other one. <laughs> anyway, this is a good joke. It is roughly 2,000 years old, I believe. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a deeply Jewish joke. Anyways, that joke, although humorous, has a lot of meaning for Purim, as we'll see. 
There's some questions when we come to Purim and every year these questions bother us and we need to address them every year again. Purim. The Megillah tells us that the name Purim is named after the lottery that Haman threw. He cast lots to figure out when to destroy the Jewish people. So here we come to this unbelievably festive holiday. We're all going to have an unbelievable time and we should name it Purim after the most wicked guy in the story figuring out what day to chop all of our heads off. That makes sense. Does that seem like a good idea? Seems it would get us all in a jolly, festive atmosphere. Name it Purim. Why on earth are we calling this holiday Purim? It makes no sense at all. Secondly, respectable people. Look to your right, look to your left. There are probably respectable people somewhere in this room. <laughs> Find them. And you may find that on Purim, they're going to go around in costume. They're going to go around dressed up in the most ridiculous things that they could find on Amazon. Okay? (laughs) What on earth? (laughs) Where's our dignity? Why are we all going crazy and putting on costumes? And thirdly, the joy. There is something so remarkably joyous about Purim. There's just no, there's nothing else like it. There's a joy that spills into the streets. You know when the Berdichever with Lane Megillah, the holy Rebbe Yitzchak of Berdichev, he would get so excited, so filled with joy, that he would just start climbing onto the bima to dance, and they would have to yank the Megillah away, and then he'd go up there and he'd do his whole dance. I'm sure this goes on in all the local shows. And he would get up there and he would dance, and then he would like get his bearings and he would come back down and they would put the McGill out and he'd continue reading. After a while, he couldn't hold himself back. He'd get back up, he'd dance again, they'd pull it off. What is going on? What's with this joy that is just ridiculous? What is it about this holiday that is so unusual and so happy? Let's touch a little bit into the story. I'm going to have to assume that everyone is familiar with it to some extent. But let's just remind ourselves that we have the Jews and they're watching current events unfold. And you've got to take yourself back to this story as if you didn't read it every single year in Shul. As if you didn't know the ending already. As if you were a Jew there for the first time. And you've got to be there and imagine that Vashti, the queen of of the Persian Empire, is killed. And now they're on a search for somebody to replace her. And they end up taking Esther, this righteous, special woman. Not just a Jewish woman who will now be stuck in the palace with Ahasuerus, but the wonderfully righteous Esther. She gets taken, abducted really because she's hiding. She gets abducted and taken off to the palace. News spreads through the community. Oy vey. That's the reaction. Oh my goodness. What's happening? Haman, this guy who is totally bent on evil and wickedness is rising in the ranks and you're watching him get promoted. Promotion after promotion. 
And you know what's happening? You're standing in shul and somebody's telling you, yo, did you hear? Did you hear what just happened? You got Haman just got that position? This crazy madman? And you turn to your friend and you say, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's, what, what's going on here. Olive. Olive. What's Hashem doing? What's happening to our life? Achashverosh. Gemara tells us, hated the Jews as much as Haman. And now the two of them, news spreads. You're in the coffee room and they tell you, Haman and Achashverosh just made up that they're going to pick a day where they wipe out the Jewish people. There's going to be utter destruction. This panic. Pandemonium. Oh my goodness. What is happening to our life? It's unraveling in front of our eyes. This is craziness. This is horrible. This is chaos. So many groans, so many oives, so many questions unanswered. So much confusion inside every Jewish home in the Persian Empire. But then, the crux of Purim, the remarkable thing that happened. Because yes, that's exactly what it was. Yes, that was exactly the confusion that was happening and felt by every single person. But then they responded. They turned to Hashem. They said, Hashem, we realized we messed up. We went to the party we shouldn't have. We sinned and we did things that weren't right. We apologize. We, we beg forgiveness. And we beg for mercy. Save us. And they dabbled and they begged. And Hashem responded. But this, this response by Hashem is exactly what makes Purim so unreal. Because Hashem responded with an unbelievable gift. You see, He did not ride in on a magical unicorn and rescue us in some unbelievable dazzle of rainbows and things that you can't even imagine. No, he did not. He did not ride in with ten plagues. He did not ride in with a small ragtag group of Yeshiva Bacharim fighting back all the Greeks in something that you can't believe and the historians can't wrap their minds around. No, he did not do that. He did something far greater and he gave us something so much more profound. Instead of dazzling us, Hashem gave us a gift on Burim that would change the way we wake up in the morning every single day from then on. Hashem gifted us with something that was not going to be a moment of an unreal experience, but was going to restructure the vision that a Jew has on life and daily events. What Hashem did was He pulled back the veil. 
that thin little covering over everything that happens in the news, over every single event that seems to just be the way life goes. And then Hashem showed up and said, you davened, you begged, I'm going to save you, but I'm not going to save you the way I did before. I'm going to give you something that's going to be a gift that keeps on giving. I'm going to show you what's really going on. I'm going to pull back the thin veneer called nature, called happenstance, called current events, called the elections, or whatever. Or the game, if that's what you're thinking about right now. (laughs) I'm going to pull that back. And you're going to see an unreal display of perfectly set up pieces. Like I envision the story of Purim. If you ever are bored or get sucked into YouTube and realize that they're stealing your life and you want to sue them, but you find on YouTube people who have even less of a life than you, which is a remarkable thing to discover. And there are people on YouTube who apparently do nothing all day except set up domino things. Have anybody else seen this? These unreal domino displays? That, I'm just saying, I don't understand. It's like, like it's like an 80-year project or something. I hope the person made a lot of money off that video. Okay? Because otherwise they've been starving. But I'm talking about, you know, this unreal domino displays. They push down this one thing and it goes, and I saw one even made by Hanukkah, which sort of freaks me out because it means a Jew did it. I don't know why he's spending his time doing it. But it unfolds and it hits everything and all of a sudden it unfolds into the dominoes cascade into a picture of the menorah and then that goes and spins into the spiral and it's unreal. If you've never seen this, then I applaud you for having a job. But you can Google it when we're done. I view the story of Purim as one of those marvelous, unreal scenes that you see. Where Hashem pulled back Pull back that little haze that doesn't let us see. And he showed us, let me show you all the pieces that I've set up. Let me show you all the dominoes that just when I nip them, just like that, just when you dive in, just when you say, can you help me, I just flick one of them. And things that you had no idea that were connected. You had no idea the picture that was getting put together. All of a sudden, and you see something unreal happen. And Hashem showed us this. He showed us this by letting us see that at the very beginning of the story, when we're sitting there at that meal, and we're at that party where we shouldn't have been, and we're doing things that we shouldn't have done, and all of a sudden the crazy thing happens that Vashti doesn't want to show up, and now she gets executed. And this is on the front page of every single newspaper. And it's just current events, right? And then that ends up spiraling out of control because then Esther gets taken and that's horrible. But then Hashem shows us that no, it wasn't horrible at all. But while we were at that party doing something wrong, Hashem was already setting the dominoes in place so that when we need somebody to bail us out, Esther would be there to get us out. Yeah, something that people were in shul were crying about. Something they may have even been in Shul saying to him over. 
Because it was so impossibly unclear, but at the end, it was exactly perfect. By the way, I happen to have had a thought, which each year touches me. Haman suggests that Vashti get killed. If you look in the Megillah, you find that he gives this really ridiculous argument why Vashti should get killed. Instead of just saying, hey, she didn't do what the king said, when somebody doesn't do what the king said, you should kill her, he gives this whole speech about the women, the women are going to be taking over the homes or whatever it is. And he gives this really, really strange speech right there. And Chazal tell us that you know what Haman's motivation was for killing Vashti? It was the fact that his wife was a little bit overbearing for him, and he was afraid that if news gets back that Vashti didn't listen to her husband, he's going to come home, and then his wife is going to be pushing him around. Okay? And so that bothered him, so he goes through this insane way of dealing with this problem as opposed to marriage therapy. He decides, simpler, cheaper maybe, let's get the queen killed, (laughs) and that will send a message to everybody, including my wife, that she won't mess with me when I come home. I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness. No, besides for the fact that, like, oh my goodness, you have problems. But besides for that, like 30 years earlier, 40 years earlier, I don't know how old he is in the story, when he got married, when people were at Haman's wedding, did anybody realize that Hashem was already setting up the salvation of the Jewish people? That when Hashem made Haman marry this woman who would be overbearing for him. He was already putting the pieces in place so that 40 years later, when the question comes up of should we kill Vashti, Haman will need to say yes so that he could go home and be the man of the house and that that should happen just so that Esther could be put in position so that the Jews could be saved. Did anybody think 40 years earlier dancing at that wedding that Hashem was setting up just one more domino, one more piece in the puzzle for the day that I decide to show my hand. That blows my mind. So many questions. So many questions. We find Big Son and Seresh, two palace guards, decide to kill Achashverosh. Who overhears them? I'm going to take a drink of water so somebody could actually guess. I said a bracha already. Who overheard them plotting to kill the king? Thank you. Alright. I heard a few different answers but we'll go with Mordechai. <laughs> it was Mordechai. Unbelievable. This is our big opportunity. The Jews are in a tight spot. Mordechai figures, hears and saves the, the, the king's life, Right? Except he gets ignored. Written in a book. Nothing happens. No reward. Oh, bummer. Again. We just seem to have the worst of luck. Right? But no. Because if he would have been rewarded then, it would have been nothing. That reward had to hang and wait for just a moment. That fateful night when Haman decides he's going to kill Mordechai. 
and go to his good buddy Ahasuerus and get him killed, just like that. But it was at that very moment that Ahasuerus is sitting there and can't sleep, and he reads the book and he says, oh my goodness, we didn't do anything for Mordechai. Haman walks in, Ahasuerus is thinking, what am I going to do about Mordechai? He comes in and they have this most awkward miscommunication ever, where Haman thinks he's talking about him, and he's really talking about Mordechai, and the next thing you know, boom, another domino in place. Haman's out there, leading the guy he came to kill around town saying, thus shall be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. So many questions, but each one a domino, put in place perfectly. Perfectly placed for the time that it needed to be. What is Purim? Purim is this gift. This gift when Hashem showed us that there is no other thing going on. There is no other orchestrator of events. There is no battle between nature and God. Current events and that which Hashem is trying to get to happen. Hashem doesn't have to wrangle earth to get it to go His way. He is the painter. He made this picture. He put these pieces in play. This is his show and these are his puppets. Every step of this is Hashem from beginning to end. And no, if Hashem would have come in on that magical unicorn, that would have been amazing, that would have been astonishing, that would have made a great picture book. But the next day when there's no magical unicorn, what would we have walked away with? Now Hashem didn't do that. Instead he just showed, look, look, look it's me. Guys, look, it's me. So that tomorrow when you wake up and you see another thing, another piece, another oive, another question, another confusion, another wonderment. Why is it happening? Why is he in charge? Why did that happen? Why did that person cut me off? Or maybe even all the good things. Where are they going? Personal struggles. Personal events. Or personal situations. Why do I struggle with this? Why was I born with this challenge? Why do I suffer from the following? Purim comes to remind us. Every part of it is a domino. is put in place. We don't see it yet, but everything is there. Everything is there. Because Hashem put it there for a reason, and that reason is glorious. Like the Chidush Arim says, they had so many questions. For nine years this story went on, and everyone was going, what on earth is happening? And at the end, everyone had one major head-thwacking moment. And he doesn't say those exact words, but it's basic gist, you get it. Right? Everyone went, oh my goodness, that was crazy, that was incredible. Says that's exactly what's going to happen. That is exactly what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. Because right now, right now as we live our life right here in Memphis, there is another Megillus Esther being written. And that is the Megillus Esther of our lives. All the things that we don't get, all the questions that we don't yet understand all the events that we don't see where they're going, 
That's a Megillah that's being written. And then when Mashiach comes, we're all going to go, oh my goodness, I get it. Oh, how unreal that was. Hashem, you're something else. No, you are. And that's what we're going to recognize. So we don't name Purim, oh, the help, the salvation, the war at the end. No, no, that's not the message of Purim. The message of Purim is, name it Purim. Name it that moment when Haman got up to decide the day that he was going to kill us. Yeah, name it Purim. Because that is exactly where Hashem was at that exact moment. Hashem was there. Hashem chose Adar for a whole slew of reasons. The point is, what seemed like random, what seemed like a lottery, what seemed like the evil guy getting up to decide what to do was nothing. It was a puppet. There was no Haman. There is no Achashverosh. There is Hashem. There is nothing else. And you know what happens when you realize that? You tap into a sense of joy. That there is no joy like this joy. Because what are we so worried about? What are we getting stuck? We're so confused all the time. We're wondering what? What's happening? We're worried. We're bothered. What's going to be with the money? What's going to be with the kids? What's going to be with the business? We're so worried. Why? Well, you know, I, I do run the world. You know, me, I run my world. You run your world. That's a, that's, that's a lot of weight in our shoulders. That's a lot to be worried about. No. Mom, I'm the President of the United States. What are you worried about traffic for? What are you worried about the airlines for? Security. How are you going to get there? There'll be a limo. There'll be Air Force One. There'll be a helicopter. We don't have to worry. Everyone needs to relax. It's a Memphis Kylo message, by the way. <laughs> Everyone just relax, okay? When I was in New York, I didn't believe in this. But now that I'm Southern, <laughs> we all need to just relax. Hashem has got this. Our Father is the President of the universe. He has got this in the bag. He is taking care of us. He has got this under control. We think it's random. We don't know what to do. Everything that happens is just another step, whether we see it or not. It's just another step to our own salvation. So take the dignified people. Yeah, dignified people. Go out and you put on a costume. Why? Because there's a point. The point is that what you see, what you see, it's my theme song, I'm sorry. (laughs) What we see out in the world, what looks so real, what looks so unbelievable, is just a costume. It's actually just a costume. Costume for who? For Hashem. Yeah, Hashem is wearing a costume. Perhaps the greatest costume of all. I think we've all felt for it a little bit. It looks so legit. It really looks like things are happening out there. It really looks like there's chaos. It really looks like we shape the world. And of course we have to go out there and we have to do our effort because that's our job. But we really think That things are subject to the will of man and nature. 
That is an unreal costume, but on Purim, we're meant to see deeper. On Purim and this time of year, we're meant to tap into something so clearly, which is that no, there is nothing. That is a costume. And in fact, I could relax. I don't have to worry about this. You know, the Rebbe of Zusha, they asked him once why his family looked like they were pretty nervous and he looked like he was having a pretty good time. So he said, well, the problem is simply a matter of perspective. You see, I rely on Hashem. And so Hashem's got everything. He's able to do everything. He's totally taking control and he's taking care and he loves me and everything's awesome. So I'm totally calm. I'm having a good time. He said, my family, on the other hand, they're relying on Zusha. Now, Zusha's got really bad luck and he's really bad at business. So they're pretty miserable. <laughs> That's the difference. We have two ways we go forward. Pre-Purim or post-Purim. We can rely on Zusha and then things are pretty miserable. Or we can rely on Hashem. We can realize that everything comes down to Hashem. We find something very interesting in the Megillah. It struck me this year. You'll notice that towards the end of the Megillah, things start to get a lot of rushing going on. You'll notice it this year if you pay attention. They rush. Once they decide to destroy the Jews, it says they rush. They quickly grab the letters and they spread them all over. And then they, they rush to invite Haman to the party. And then Ahasuerus says, hurry, take Mordechai and bring him out on the horse. And then they rush again to get Haman to the party. Well, they're rushing. What are they in such a rush? It's like kings, don't they? Why is it rushing? I mean, it's very simple. A very simple message, I think. You know when you rush? When do you rush? You rush when you have somewhere to go. When you have somewhere to go. Right now, you're not rushing because you're stuck. But besides for that, okay? <laughs> you don't have anywhere to go that you can go. You rush when you have a destination. The Megillah has a destination. Events that look like they're going nowhere. This is just a party. This is just an event. One isolated event after another, but all of a sudden it's rush, rush, rush. You know why? Because it's not an isolated event. It is driving to one place, one point. And when we have that, we feel a joy that's unreal. And not just a joy that's unreal, it actually becomes kind of funny. You know like the guy who shows up in like a costume that's too good? You know, the guy who took it too seriously, you know, the guy who goes like too far. Yeah. He like gets kicked out of the wrong bathroom. You know, the guy, he's like, just looks too, too real. But in a certain way, it's like, it's very funny. You see that guy, and at first you're like, whoa. And then he goes, no, 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 it's me. It's Bob. It's Bob, right? And you laugh because you're like, wow. I mean, that costume is unbelievable. And it's like funny. And then you're like, watch the next person fall for it because it's really good, right? Like the next person freak out when they get a hug from this. You know, a lady or something, right? They're like, oh, no, it's just an amazing costume. Life can be that funny. When we see through the costume that Hashem's wearing, and we realize this is a really good costume, but it is a costume, it actually gets funny. It gets funny. Because look how good it looks. Look how real it looks like. It really looks like that guy signs your paycheck, right? Go, try this. Go tomorrow into the office and laugh at him. No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. But internally, yeah, laugh. Laugh. 
when he threatens your job, when something comes up, when something seems like it's on the line, you go home, you make a lachayim, and you laugh. Because doesn't that look real, but it's just a costume. I want you to know something. I'm not here to say anything new. I'm not here to tell you a message you didn't hear in the past or realize yourself. The reason this Purim story, the reason we celebrate this every single year, the reason why it wasn't a one and done is because this very message, this very core truth needs to be hammered in every single year again and again. And when we come to Purim, we have a chance to make this stick. Because we've all heard these words, but we all know how skin deep it goes. But taking advantage of Purim means making it go in deeper. And Purim is a day when Hashem helps. We can take advantage of that day and we can make this real. You should know that Rabbi Victor Miller stopped taking people at a certain point on Purim. You could come visit him at a certain point. He shut his doors. He weren't allowed in. Why? What did he need to do? Nothing. He would sit down at the table and he would begin to review this truth. This very simple, basic part of the story. But he would make it go in because that's the difference between mediocre or great. The difference between who we are and who we can become is how deep we take this in. And on Purim we have a chance to take this in deeply. On Purim, let's think, let's remember the story, let's pay attention to the story, let's review the story. Take a moment at home, calibrate ourselves. Think of the events in our lives that made us recognize the hand of Hashem. Think about the things that we ourselves are still wondering about and confused about. And let's remind ourselves, it's the same God of the Purim story that is running that event in my life. It is the same God that showed himself, that we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was there the whole time. It's the same God. He has not retired. He's still doing the business of running the universe. Let's remind ourselves that so that it goes in deeper. Because on Purim and this time of year is our chance to bring this home. So I heard the following story, story from Rabbi Grossman. Rabbi Grossman I actually heard him saying this on a video. So this is 100% authenticated, the following story. All right? I'm going to introduce you to God in this story. Okay? Everyone who's been wondering what you're doing here till now, in this story, it's all going to come clear. Rabbi Grossman runs an organization in Eretz Yisrael. Most people probably have heard of him. The organization is Migdal R. You've heard of the organization? It's massive. It's Rabbi Grossman is very, very well known. He runs a very extensive network of institutions. And their basic job is, their goal <coughs> is to take orphan children, children at risk, people who are on the street, and give them education, shelter, basically get them back to having a normal semblance of life and ultimately to be constructive people who are able to build families and have a beautiful future. And it's unreal the work he does, and he's an unreal person. He sold over the following story, okay? He says, he doesn't fly first class. He never flies first class, because he has to collect money. And somebody who collects money, when they're seen in first class, 
People go, why is that schnorrer in first class with my money? <laughs> That's what people say. He says he doesn't, he has a rule. He, he doesn't lie. Ever. But he had happened to get gotten some award in, in Israel. And so he became somewhat recognized. And he showed up at the airport for his flight. And they said to him, you know, Rabbi Grossman, they recognized him. They said, please, can you go to first class? You know, just doesn't cost anything. The points that you've accumulated from all of your flying, please go to first class. He said, well, I was feeling a little bit under the weather. And they were really pushing for it. I said, you know, fine, fine. One time, go first class. So he goes to first class. He says there's six seats in first class. Two, two, and two. He said, he's here. Nobody's in the middle. On the far left are two Texans, Texas-sized, and, uh, you know, happy people. <laughs> you know, robust. And this is there, and he's thinking to himself, um, he doesn't know what to, what to go for, but he thinks to himself, you know what, I'm going to go offer these random two people, that don't look Jewish at all, whatever, I'm going to go ask them if they would like to see a video of my institution. He said, never in my life have I tried to solicit funds while flying. He said, I don't know what took over me. I said, I'm going to go and ask him. So he goes over to these two people and he goes, you know, I'm a Grossman. He has this heavy accent. You know, Would you like to see? I work with children in Israel. Can I show you a video of, of what I do? So, you know, he said they, they didn't really have a choice because they're stuck in first class with him. So they uh, said, oh, all right. <laughs> so he puts down the video you know, pops down their tray table, plays the video, and he goes back to his seat. But he's thinking to himself, like, what on earth took over me? All right, whatever. Anyways, he launches, like, you know, eight minutes later, he sees the video finished, and he goes over and uh, to go get the video. So he said, in first class, now I, I have zero experience with this, but I'm going to trust him, but maybe somebody here, someone here knows if this is true. He said, in first class, there's a button that instantly reclines your, your chair into a bed position. Okay, nobody has to admit if they know about this, but apparently this is true. Apparently if you pay $10,000 more, they'll let your, your chair recline. Seems like a good deal. All right, if you're looking for what to do with your money, I could give you better ideas. <laughs> so apparently there's a button there that makes it recline instantly. So he leans over to get the video from this fellow, this hefty gentleman, and he accidentally leans his hand on the bed button. And this very large gentleman goes flying back into full sprawled out position. So he said he ran like a panic, right? He's like, oh no, yeah, forgive me, I didn't know what he was like, you know what to do. And in like the panic, he just leaned over and gave him a big kiss on the forehead. And then he's like, you know, you know, in those confusing moments, you don't know what is appropriate. Well, that was not appropriate, but <laughs> he knows that now. But in the confusion, that's what he did. And you know that, and then he was like, oh. And then he just like went back to his seat. He was mortified. He said he sat there. He said, oh, my goodness, what just happened? He said he couldn't, he couldn't even look over in their direction, right? So he said, the guy, you know, sitting over there, two rows over, composes, he thinks a few minutes, compose himself after being flung backwards and flung back up. And then he comes over to him. Rabbi Grossman, Texas. My name is John Hagee. You guys know John Hagee? I didn't until I heard this story. 
Okay, John Hagee runs the Christians United for Israel organization. He's the chairman of that. And he says, Rabbi Grossman, I want to tell you something, that I came, this is my third trip into Israel, my third trip into Israel, looking what to do with the funds that we've accumulated in my organization. He said, I'm friends with BB, I'm friends, I'm friends with everybody. And he said, and he took me around. All three times they took me around, showed me different places I could give my money. He said, and none of them, none of them satisfied me. And now I'll tell you, guys, my wife, that I told her when we were leaving Israel, that God, I don't know where this money should go. God, I'm going to make a sign. The person who comes and shows me that they are taking care of the children of Israel. And that's my wife. And gives me a kiss on my forehead. <laughs> we'll get the money that I have. <laughs> Rabbi Grossman says, the story doesn't sound real. He said, but it is real. He said, at that point, I had just gotten ready to build a new girls institution. I didn't even have the money for the building that I had signed on. John Hagee's money paid for that building. You know that story? You just met God. The man who will give me a kiss on my forehead. What on earth? You get on that flight, you mess up, you show the video, you fly first class, all these events, all the random pieces, and then you kiss him on the forehead and you feel, oh my goodness, life could not get worse. I'm stuck in first class for the next 10 hours with that guy who I just threw on his back and then kissed him on the forehead. I did, life does not get more miserable than that, I'm pretty sure. And then you walk away with all the money you needed for your great institution because Hashem runs the world. That's Megillah's Esther that's being run right now. That's Esther, which means hidden, and Megillah, which means to reveal, that Hashem revealed the hidden, which was himself. That he was here the whole time. That Purim, name it after the lottery of the evil guy who's killing us because it's not. There is no him, there is no lottery, it's Hashem. Put on a costume because it's not what it seems, it's all Hashem. The greatest masquerade of all is earth and life itself. It seems like it's something other than God, but it is only Hashem unveiling all that is good for us. When the Jews realized that, they celebrated. Not only did they celebrate, but they realized a profound truth. Why are we going through life like a person who gets on a train? And as the train takes off and starts speeding, he goes, Ah, we're going to die! We're going to die! That was just for the people who were sleeping. Okay. <laughs> we're going to die! Oh my goodness, right? And then it like turns near a building. Oh my goodness, did you see that? We almost crashed into that building, right? And then the whole time, the guy's like screaming down the track. He goes, buddy, do you know that we're on a track? Do you know that someone's like running this thing? It's like a track. It goes from station to station. There's a guy in the front, conductor, he's driving. Are we screaming on this train? And if not, let's just chill out a little bit. Grab ourselves a drink. And when we look around life and we see, and we think that there are two teams, we think there's nature, there's money, there's success, then there's Judaism, Torah, mitzvahs, spirituality. And we think how the two go together. 
They're so different. They don't fit. I have to choose who I'm going to be friends with. I have to choose which one I like. And then you find out that there's only one person hosting the whole party. You got invited to a party. Your friend told you, buddy, listen here. You come straight back to the VIP room. That's where all the food is. That's where all the good food is. VIP only. Get to the back. So you come into the party and you hit first the jello table. So you think, you know what? I don't know if there's really going to be good food back there. I better stuff some of the jello in my pocket. What are you stuffing jello in your pocket? Your friend made the party. Your friend hosted this party. He told you the good food's in the back. Get to the back. When the Jews realize that there's only one host of this whole party, there isn't two. There's one. And he said, let go of the jello. Let go of the jello. Don't stuff the jello in your pockets. Spirituality, godliness, Torah, mitzvahs, everything you want is the greatest thing in the world that's in the back in the VIP room. They realize, what are we doing going to Achashverosh's party for? Hashem runs this party. He's hosting this thing and he said there's better stuff. On his side, when there's only one host, then you know who to trust. And thus the story ended. They celebrated the Torah that they had. They started going to Achashverosh's party. They thought that's where to have a good time. They ended saying, it's in our own Judaism that we're going to have the greatest party of our life. There is only one host. There is only one God of this universe. There is only one person setting up all the dominoes. Every event that happens in our life is only Hashem unfolding and displaying His great hand at orchestrating the most perfect, beautiful existence for ourselves. Challenges to make us greater. Scary moments to then unfold a salvation Beautiful moments to give us opportunity and all of physicality just to help us get to the real party, which is the great spiritual attainments we can have in this world. May we all tap into that clarity, celebrate and dance with this truth on Purim, put on your costume and go crazy because Hashem has got this. Your father is the president of the universe. Let us all sit back, relax, and celebrate on this glorious Purim. And may we all be zeicha to a beautiful, freilichen, joyous Purim together.